You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time, Bill's Mafia, another episode of Bill's Talk with Matt Perino. I'm joined this week by uh, a really fun guest. We taped this about a week ago, but we've obviously had a couple of really cool shows that we had to get out of the way with Lorenzo Alexander and Chad Michael Murray. Today's guest is Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I met Adam when I was out in the desert in Las Vegas with the UFC. He covers the UFC, he covers the Raiders, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. He was on that beat for a while. What brought us together is he's he's a big Bills fan. His family's from Hamburg. Uh, so we talk a little bit about that and the interesting story of how he has become not a Bills fan anymore. I uh, was a big Tyrod Taylor fan. Uh, it's a fun story, but I think I really wanted to have him on to talk about that part of things because I think that there is a portion of the fan base in Bills Mafia that's still skeptical on Josh Allen. And, and Adam is... I think a little bit more skeptical than most just because of how big of a fan he was of Taylor. Uh, but it's a fun conversation. We hit on uh, the Bills, what they've done. Uh, Adam's covered pro sports for almost a couple decades now. Uh, he's covering the Raiders out there. We hit on what to expect with the Raiders. The Bills obviously play them in 2020. Uh, what's going on around the team in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And then we obviously close out the show with some UFC talk near and dear to my heart. It was a fun time. We recapped UFC 249. Looked a little bit at the lightweight division, Conor McGregor, where he sits in the thick of things now that Justin Gaethje and Khabib Nurmagomedov seems to be next. A little bit of everything for you today. I hope you enjoy. Uh, here's my conversation with Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal. What what is the what the heck are you covering these days? Um, actually, I, I'm very much doing the Raiders. Like the Raiders are my thing right now. Uh, covering a lot of Golden Knights as well. Just kind of you know, when there's, when there's some downtime from the Raiders, but uh, you know that I came from a world of covering UFC for a long time. And uh, even when I was covering the UFC, I was covering a lot of other things, but uh, have always covered it and uh, enjoy it, enjoy that kind of spectacle uh, of that sport. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of stepped out of the Raiders duty for a while and covered this last UFC event, which was just a, just a circus. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was so insane. And, and I'm not, not not any fault of theirs. I mean, I guess fault of theirs for trying to put on the event, but um, it just it's so weird to try to put on a sporting event in these uh, in these crazy times. So I wanted to go down and cover it and just kind of cover the whole crazy aspect of what the UFC was trying to do in Florida this week, and it was nuts. It was definitely nuts, and and I think maybe a little bit of a blueprint for what other organizations are going to go through to try to bring sports back. But um, somebody's got to be first, and they decided there was going to be them. <laughs> Um, you could follow him on Twitter at Adam Hill, uh, L V R J. I don't like think it. a lot of your, uh, I don't think a lot of your, listeners I, and readers I suggest it. 
I suggest it because I feel like I, you, you have a broken heart and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to fix that at some point today for you. No, it, I, I want to get into it a little bit, but you know, it's funny. I always retweet your stuff because like you said, Bill's fans are very passionate and um, what's the word? <laughs> They like to stick up for their guys, and sure. Well, so, well uh, uh, they do for some guys, Matt. Okay, okay. They do so, for some guys, and that's the problem. Let's give a little history here. So, Adam is uh, has, was a Buffalo Bills fan for years and years and years. Obsessed. Obsessed, like to the point Obsessed. where we were in Buffalo at two ten, uh, UFC two ten, and you hung around after the event to go get a picture with Tyrod Taylor, and. You said you would never do that for anybody, but it was never. a Buffalo Bill quarterback, a guy that you really liked. You were an obsessed Bills fan. How did you become a Bills fan? Well, so, you know, we, uh, I grew up in, in a lot of different places. We moved all over the country. Um, but my mom and all of her side of the family uh, is all from Hamburg. And, you know, it, they, like my grandpa bought a house, uh, built a house. Uh, in Hamburg my cousins like bought the house next door when they became adults like the culture of the bills is just like built into our family and going there so many times I've never lived in Buffalo but we like I said we didn't really have a home base I mean I'm from Detroit moved to Maryland moved to Vegas we were in Ohio for a while like moved everywhere but like that bills culture was like so ingrained in us uh from from a young age and like my you know my I remember my cousin like going with him on his paper route and like Nate Odoms was, was one of his, like the guys he delivered the paper to. I mean, it was like, it was just such a part of the, the culture. And I mean, you know, and the people up in Buffalo know like what that team means to that place. And it was just so cool to be a part of that. Like, you know, every holiday we'd be there and summer we'd be there for a couple of weeks at a time. And the bills were just ingrained in us. And it was, it was an obsession. Like as much as I love sports of all kind, and you know, I have my, my favorite teams and have kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, in my life, but the bills have always been that one. And uh, it was, I mean, to the point where you were with me when the bills finally made the playoffs a couple of years ago. And I, I was like, I broke down. I was like sobbing. I was, it was insane. And I had some family there. You, you were, you were around and they were kind of the same way. It was such a moment. And uh, that was almost the end of my bills. Family. Yeah. We'll get to that. But so it, what's interesting is before I came back to join the beat, I mean, I would have characterized myself as a pretty um, passionate Bills fan. I watched every game. I was there with you in the sports book. Where were we with the Golden Nugget? Or where was that? Westgate. Uh, Westgate. And we, we, we watched Andy Dalton send the Bills to the playoffs. And I rooted for him, cheered for him. I tell people all the time, when you start to cover a team, though, the dynamic shifts a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I'm called out for as many homer takes as anybody else. But I can truly say – that throughout my entire two years now covering this team, I haven't had an inkling once to cheer in the press box. That's good. And I think part of that is just because it becomes a job and it changes things. But I understand where you're coming from. Like, I understand the passion and this fan base and now covering it for two years. But something happened in 2017 or after 2017 that made you put down all of your Bills jerseys, uh, maybe for good. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think, I don't know if it's for good. Cause they're, they're like, obviously when you hate a team so much, like I do with this team, uh, now, um, <laughs> there's obviously still like a care, right? Like you still care about it. And by the way, I also, 
had to kind of give up allegiances. Let, let's also point out that when I started covering the NFL, I had to kind of give away my allegiances as well. So it was already going to happen. Like I was already going to not be a fan of a team, but yeah, I just, it went from just an obsessed love to an absolute hate of a franchise like so quickly. And listen, I'll, I'll just be straight up. And I didn't, I, I never liked how Tyrod Taylor was treated. I never did. And it's not everyone, but I think there was absolutely a, a portion uh, of the fan base that was kind of disgusting in how they treated them. And it never sat well with me. And, and like I said, I was going to have to move away from being fan anyway, but it was just very difficult to watch. And, and I didn't, I didn't like it. And I think like, like what he did for, like, he is such an, he was such an incredible dude just off the field and, and whatever. What he did on the field was obviously great and ends this horrific drought that the franchise had had and, should be this great moment and just in and never was never I don't think given the credit that he deserved and I think there was a lot of reasons for that that I didn't like and it just it kind of drove me away from being a fan and it just did and I, I it's gonna be real hard to get that back but like I said I really can't be a fan anyway um because I cover the NFL now but it, it was it was a tough time for me no and I get it and I think that from a different perspective Tyrod Taylor what he did was amazing because I think at different times in his Bills career, he was really good. Like, I mean, we're talking about uh, a guy that I think didn't make mistakes, made a lot of big plays with his, with his arm and his legs. Um, but what my biggest, the biggest reason why I was okay with him going in a different direction from Taylor is that I thought that long-term there was limitations to his game. And I think that you saw that in the Jacksonville game. I think that, while he can make plays, I think that he also plays the game not to make mistakes just as much as he tries to make plays. And I think that they saw that and they wanted to go in a different direction, especially McDermott and Bean coming from Carolina where they had a guy in Cam Newton who was notorious for going out there, putting the team on his back and making plays. And then to go through a whole season in 17 and watch Tyrod Taylor, who almost is that ultra game manager, I understood why they wanted to go in a different direction. Now, I will argue, and I said this earlier, I think they should have kept him on the roster as the bridge quarterback anyway. Because what no, they you can't you can't. He's too good. You you couldn't do it. He was he was the guy that took them to the playoffs. He was a guy who like I don't I know people don't like, you know, pro football focus. And that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. But you look what he did, like look where they had him every year as a starting quarterback, was in the top half of the league every single year as a starting quarterback, which Top half of the league is not a Super Bowl contender. I get that. He was a very steady player, a very good player. He's a he's a 12 to 18th best quarterback in the league guy, and that's what he is. Mm-hmm. And those limitations are exactly what you're talking about. You don't want that. But you also don't want to go then to the 29th best quarterback and then celebrate him like he's the greatest thing that's ever happened just because he's not the other guy, which is, is always what also sat wrong with me. And, you know, I think that if you had Tyrod Taylor on the roster, say last year, say he was still on the roster last year, like, I, I think he's like, you're always going to be thinking like, well, who should be the starting quarterback? I, I don't think you, I don't think you can have a guy that good if you're trying to build a young quarterback. I think it's a, a problem that they would have had in Cleveland again, if they would have, if they would have kept him around mm-hmm. because all of a sudden Baker Mayfield fell apart after, mm-hmm. you know, after moving into, into the starting lineup, but everybody thought he was a savior, but he couldn't be. I think the problem, the Chargers are going to have that problem this year where you bring in a guy, you have Tyrod Taylor, who is absolutely the, the choice of the, of the head coach and Anthony Lynn. There's no question. He wants Tyrod Taylor to be the starter over Justin Herbert. 
and you're trying to build a guy in Justin Herbert, but you're also a team that could make the playoffs, what do you do? I think I think he's just too good to be that quarterback that's around when you're trying to build up a younger player. I understand that, but I think under the right circumstances, it's okay. So, like, with Baker, he was ready to start day one, number one he overall wasn't. pick. Well, he wasn't. But, I mean, he was. I mean, he ended up being rookie of the year. I mean, he broke the touchdown record as a rookie. I'm saying he was NFL ready. He came NFL ready compared to Josh Allen and definitely Justin Herbert, in my opinion, who probably could use a year to sit behind a guy like that. And I think that was the plan. The weird thing about the plan was I think they wanted a bridge quarterback. They moved on from Taylor and they got some draft capital for him. And with Bean, that's a big deal. He wants to add the draft capital. But – by the way, Brandon Bean is an unbelievable, unbelievable executive. He is. He's got one blind spot. It's that quarterback, but he's, he's a great executive. So, okay. So I'm a little bit higher on Josh Allen than you are. Give me your – In what way? Give me your what's, – what's your top knocks here? I mean, obviously we all know the completion percentage and, you know, you reference pro football focus. Uh, they, they have all these expert graders who have never been in an NFL room that like to uh... right, what, I, what I was getting at with that though. So if you want to d- diminish pro football focus, which it, it's hilarious that people do because you're like, Hey, I don't like what they do. Okay, fine. Then look at, look at just objective numbers that, that take the subjective out of it. If you look at, you know, QBRs or, or things along those lines that take away just the straight up, Hey, this, I'm going to look at it as a scout, still the same thing. Like he's around the same numbers. It doesn't really matter which, which measures you look at. It's, all you can say is, hey, I like how he looks out there. Like, okay, that really doesn't tell me anything, but that's fine, um, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, if you want – and here's and what I was getting at with Pro Football Focus is that being around the NFL now a lot more and be, being – especially around the Raiders and some other teams in, in, the, in the AFC West, they all, like, throw PFF completely out the window whenever you talk to them publicly. And then privately they're like, they're actually pretty accurate. <laughs> They're pretty good. So there's a difference, though. The PFF advanced stats, you're right. I think that executives really like what they do in terms of putting all the, the metrics together and presenting a statistical presentation. My issue is with a bunch of out-of-college basement dwellers grading games. Like, I don't care what, what somebody that I can't e- – I've never even heard of what they grade Josh Allen in a game. Like, I – or, or whoever. I, right, but, to me, but I'm, saying, th- I'm saying throw that out. But then, but then you also look at, look at just stats then. So if you want to throw out the stats. Okay, let's, stuff, look let's look at stats. Let's look at stats. Then look at stats. Let's look at stats. It's also ugly. So how, how, how much of it is ugly? He's a raw quarterback, right, that came out, sure. not NFL ready, right? No. The completion percentage isn't there. The yardage totals isn't there. He scored 29 touchdowns last year. And, he, and to be honest with you, Year one statistics for Josh Allen should kind of be thrown out the window, in my opinion, because the supporting cast was absolute trash. That offensive line was anemic, was just absolutely terrible. But it, it, was, it was, was the year before also. Receiver. It was the year before also. Because, like, and people – that's, that's the, the part that drives me nuts, and people are like, well, he didn't have this and he didn't have that. Well, nobody was making those same arguments when Tyra Taylor was taking the team to the playoffs, and he, had, he was 41st in the league among quarterbacks in time to throw. Different situation because Tyrod Taylor came to the Bills as a, with four years of NFL experience in an NFL locker room under his belt. Right, but I'm talking, I'm was, talking about his, his year as quarterback taking them to the playoffs to the, to the year of Josh Allen starting out. How many again, years he's a was he in the league, though? That was his sixth, seventh year, that 2017 season, 
We're talking about Josh Allen in his rookie year, a raw right. but we're talking guy about out of Wyoming. We're, we're not talking about the actual player. We're talking about the supporting cast, right? It's, it was – and, yes, they, they had, they had guys I'm, that were gone. Yeah, but I'm arguing that Tyrod Taylor should be more equipped to deal with a bad supporting cast, and it wasn't the same supporting cast. They lost right. a Pro Bowl caliber guard in Richie Incognito. Of course they did. So it, was, it wasn't the same supporting cast. No, it wasn't. But what I'm saying is the, the, the year Tyrod Taylor took them to the playoffs, he was 41st – this is off the top of my head, by the way, because I'm obsessed with these things. He was 40, <laughs> 41st in the league among quarterbacks in time to throw, right? 41st. Right, and you never heard any. That's think about that's like every starting quarterback plus a bunch of backups in their time in the game had more time to throw, but nobody ever talked about like, wow, he's really. They're like, he just takes a lot of sacks. Well, how about the fact that he's not getting time, but nobody's ever talking about they have no offensive line. But then all of a sudden, Josh Allen comes in like, well, they don't have an offensive line. Wait, where was those people last year? That that's the, that's the thing that drives me nuts. That all the things that people had knocks on Tyrod Taylor for. And again, I'm with you if, if you don't think he's the guy to take you to the next level, fine. Mm-hmm. But you can't then say the next year, well, Tyron Taylor, yeah, sure. He, he makes some good deep throws, but he really just wants to run the ball. That, that, that can't happen with a quarterback. And then Josh Allen comes in, people are like, yeah, he can't throw, but look how good he can run. Wait, what happened to the same people last year that said you don't want a quarterback running now are like, why doesn't our quarterback get credit for running? How, are, how is that possible? What explains that? I have no idea. I don't know. But it, it just – it makes no sense if you – the same thing you're knocking one guy for, you're praising the next guy for. Where, where does that – where is that connection? I don't get it. I, I've never understood that. And, and yes, he's a, he's a first-year player. He's a rookie. You want to have hope and you want to have the potential of it. That's fine. But you it, – it, that just does not make sense when you say what this guy does is a knock, but this guy does it and it's, it's a positive thing. I, I've never understood that. Yeah, and I understand it. And listen, I'm I'm giving you a hard time. Like I, I get it. Like you're passionate about a guy, a player, as a fan, and it it is what it is. I just I'm think that- and I had to I had to deal with with like you know players that I like. That's what sports is. Everybody right. has to understand that it's the way he was treated. Right. Which, to be honest with you, was a little bit before I. Oh, did you mute yourself? Some some Bills fan is in here right now, and they muted you. I'm sure that's okay, probably what happened. Yeah, my boss was calling. That's my fault. Um, yeah, so, so I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, it, it's more, it's, it was more the treatment of, of him, I thought. And now, like, there's this revisionist history out there. Like, I'm sure you've seen it. Like, we loved Tyrod. That is not the case. That is absolutely not the case. I, I had to sit there and hear it. Like, I've, I've talked about going to the stadium and hearing what people would say. And, like, my goodness, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. And that's not everyone. That is ob- obviously a very small, you know, group. And, and it's not a dispersion on everyone because I'm sure people are like, I liked him. Okay, that's fine. But he was trashed repeatedly over and over again. And I, I just never understood that from somebody who, like, did so much and was just such a good person. And that's not what it, – it's about playing football. I get it. But he, he, he not only was a good, really good person but did a lot of really, really good things for that team. And the treatment that he got was disgusting to me. And that, that, was, that was more what it was than anything else. It was just like, all right, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. Mm-hmm. Most of what I see, and it was a weird time because towards the end of that season, you know, it was a full court press. We were launching the new UFC website. I, I wasn't really paying attention to that, really. I, I didn't see a lot of the Tyrod Taylor hate, but what I've seen 
since getting here, and obviously you talk about revisionist history, Tyrod Taylor gets brought up a lot. And every time Tyrod gets brought up, it's a very uh, polarizing discussion because I think that there's a, a group of people that maybe aren't as high on Josh Allen that look at the numbers that he's had in his first two years and say, well, this is even better than, than Tyrod Taylor. I, I'll hold, argue on, hold on. Objectively, it's not close. The, the, that comparison is not close. It, the only thing you could say is Josh Allen has potential to get better. On the field, Tyrod Taylor is the be- was the better player in his three years than Josh Allen has been in his two. But, again, you're right. He was the guy that had four years as a backup. He got to come in and, and play, uh, you know, a couple years for what ended up being a good team at the right. end. Like, all those things are good. He Objectively, his three years were better than Josh Allen's two years. But the argument is Josh Allen could okay. get better. Let me he just say this. That level. Let me say this. I don't have a horse in this race. Like, I'm not really emotional about either of these guys. I'm higher on Josh Allen than most people, but again, it's, it is what it is. This is a huge year for him. But you say objectively Tyrod Taylor is better. In 2017, when they went to the playoffs, Taylor had 2,799 passing yards and 14 touchdowns. It was his worst year. It was his worst year. So Josh Allen's second year, last year, he had – 3,089 yards and 20 touchdowns passing. That's just passing. Yeah. Nine rushing touchdowns. Tyrod Taylor, what did he have? He had four. He had four rushing touchdowns in 17. He was also a dual quarterback. So I think what you're saying there, yes, if you want to take three years compared to two years and put it all together and the averages, sure, I guess. But I think that the baseline that you're working with is Josh Allen in 2008. 19 I think 18 gets thrown out that's maybe where we where we differ I don't think Tyrod Taylor ever put up the kind of numbers maybe early on I got to go back and really dig into it but I never left a season comfortable that Tyrod Taylor was the guy and I left 2019 with the feeling that I saw enough and listen I watch him more closely than most people and I left that season saying okay, I saw enough from Josh Allen. He made enough plays where I think he can be a franchise quarterback. That's all I'm saying. I don't think he is a franchise quarterback yet, but I think that there's enough there to mold into becoming it. But I guess we'll agree. To that, that's the hope, that eventually he'll get there. I mean, that, that's, what you're, that's what you're banking on. And I think that it's possible. It, I, I think it's unlikely, but it's possible that he gets up to that level. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, like, he's... He's, he's in a good position of being on what I think is a really good team. I think it's a Super Bowl contender at every other position. Uh, I think he's what's holding him back from being a, a Super Bowl contender. But, you know, he's also a guy that is just in his third year. So he's got potential to grow there. But, like, the, the people are like, he's obviously better. It was obviously an upgraded quarterback. Well, we don't know that yet. It hasn't been yet. And maybe it will be eventually. That's what you're hoping for. That's, that's what you're banking on if you're the Bills. And I think you, you, you have to because one of the only ways to build a Super Bowl contender is to have a quarterback that's either like a Hall of Fame type quarterback or a quarterback on his rookie deal. Like that's really the only two ways to build a Super Bowl contender. So you almost had to do that. You couldn't, you couldn't pay Tyrod Taylor like a huge contract. That would have hampered the rest of the team. And by the way, if they've re-signed Josh Allen to a long-term contract, they're done. They're done. Because you ha- you, it has to be an MVP or Hall of Fame type quarterback or a quarterback on his rookie deal. So unless they get a huge bargain, their window is like two more years. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you see any scenario where Josh Allen could throw for 
3,800 yards, 35 touchdowns in a season with this, with this offense that's been built here? I think it's possible. I think it's possible to get there. I mean, I think he's, he's got a long way to go, but it's possible. But like, here's here's the other part of this is that that a lot of like a lot of people don't have necessarily is that I actually covered and saw a lot of him in college, mm-hmm. and he's I mean that's just the quarterback that he is. Like he's he's like a you know fifty to fifty two percent passer guy, unless you completely change the offense and get a lot of like his. I thought his progression in the short passing game last year was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um. But that's again, that that was the knock on Tyrod Taylor. Oh, uh, you could you know a lot of short pass, a lot of underneath stuff, a lot of running. Okay, that's what you have now. Why do you, why do you like him so much when you hated the other guy? But yeah, I think the, the the his arm is unbelievable with the the strength. The accuracy downfield is atrocious. Uh, that could get better. I think you could learn that. But he is the, kind of the same quarterback that he was in college, and so there's you know there's a lot of work to do there. Uh, but yeah, if you adjust the offense and do a lot of a lot of shorter stuff, here's the other thing: he doesn't get enough credit for, just like Tyra Taylor didn't get enough credit for. When you have those kind of tools, the ability to throw deep and the ability to to beat them with your with your legs, that opens up a lot in the running game too. Right. And and Taylor never got credit for that, and Josh Allen doesn't get credit for that. But it opens up other guys in the running game uh, to do big things. And if you can do that, and then you know adjust what you do uh, with the offense and throw a lot more short and let let your your really good receiving core make plays downfield you know get the ball and then run I, I think you could start to see improved passing numbers you mentioned uh brandon bean being this unbelievable executive take me through maybe a, a move or two over the last year or two that has stood out to you that you were like wow that was a that was a really uh nice move that he made well i think a lot of it is is retrospect right where you you see what he's doing and you're like, ah, I don't know about that. And then all of a sudden, you know, these guys just look really, really good uh, on the field. Um, first of all, I think, you know, identifying a talent and I think, I don't know where, I feel like there's some, some knock on this guy too, but identifying a talent like Devin Singletary, who I think is going to be a superstar mm-hmm. uh, player in this league, um, bringing him in. Although, you know, now they, you know, they, uh, sorry, I got things going on on my screen here. Um, you know, I, I think that is a guy that you can, you can have as a, a dynamic weapon, uh, in the backfield. I just, I like how they're building up through the lines. I like how they're going out and Hey, you, you're not afraid to make a splash, like trading a first round pick, uh, for a wide receiver. I thought, I, I didn't think it was a great deal mm-hmm. for them, but he said, Hey, listen, we are in a position where this is the kind of guy that could completely alter our franchise. And we're going to go out and make that happen. And we'll see how it works out on the field. Again, I don't like giving up what they gave up, but I think they got into a position, as you said, they're, they're identifying, they're, they're identifying players in the draft. I think they're drafting really well. They're having guys that make an impact uh, in the league and, and building that way and then filling in here and there and bringing in guys. I mean, obviously guys you have personal connections with, uh, they brought like the entire Panthers roster yeah. with them, uh, which is, 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 Hey, listen, these are guys that we trust that we know can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about it with the Raiders a lot where, you know, I think that they have a long way to go to build, but one of the things they're doing is, okay, we're not going to go out and get these superstar players at every position. We're going to get really, really good pros that nobody really talks about and try to build that way. And I think the Raiders have done that to put themselves in a position to make a big step up next year and the year after uh, if they do things right. Um, but I think, I think what you look around, when you look around to what uh, the Bills uh, front office has done, I'm just, and I think McDermott has a lot to do with that too, by the way. I, I don't think, 
I don't think it's it's being acting on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're bringing in guys that fit what they want to do and, and fit their personality and just kind of build that way. And I, I just like what they've done all around. So you bring up the Raiders, good trying to transition. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what the reception is like. Now, obviously, things are going to probably change here with the whole coronavirus situation. Who knows what the season's going to look like. And But, I mean, you cover the Knights in their first year. Uh, you were on that beat. Uh, you know that team in the city. Tell people a little bit about how that team was embraced, and do you see that potential with the Raiders and Vegas? No, totally different. It's, it's completely different. Um, with the Knights, I mean, they had they had kind of the benefit, I guess. Uh, that's not the right word to use, but people, I think people kind of forget that timeline of their first ever game as a franchise was the week after uh, the tragedy on the Strip, the, the right. tragic shooting um from Mandalay Bay so like it was just that timing of a city was reeling uh going through such a disaster um it's changed us and changed life forever and all of a sudden the Knights debut and they're actually good and it was just like one of those things that you could not predict like nobody thought they could be any good mm-hmm. everybody thought it was just going to be you know a disastrous usual expansion franchise and all of a sudden uh you know this team comes along and people are like, okay, we have a pro sports team now. And the first pro sports team also, I don't, you know, if people uh, think about that part of it, first major league, we've had plenty of pro sports. Yeah. Um, so they, they come in and then you're like, okay, this team is actually good. Like these guys are likable. They all had that, you know, they were all drafted in the expansion draft. So they had a chip on their shoulder and the fans just kind of rallied around that. Um, all those things, like everything just lined up perfectly for that team to you know, going to the Stanley Cup final in that first year, nobody could have thought that could happen. So all of those things just lined up so perfectly uh, for the city to just, like, embrace them. And you, you, if you go to a practice now – well, not now, obviously, the, nobody can do anything. But uh, if you go to a practice, you can't, you can't even get a seat for practice every day. It's crazy. Still? Still for the night? I'm like, I'm like, do people have jobs? <laughs> How are we doing this every day? It, it's insane. And they and were so, – how good were they even this last year? Well – they they were kind of they were kind of average for a lot of the year, and then they were actually really kind of peaking a little bit, mm-hmm. where it looked like okay this team could be a contender. They brought in uh, Robin Leonard, uh, obviously a you know pretty well known goalie who is very talented, and all of a sudden it kind of boosted the team a little bit because it got Mark Andre Fleury kind of you know showed him some competition, and Leonard right. was playing really well in his couple of games, and people were definitely starting to think like okay this team has that magic again uh, for. Uh, and, and I do think eventually, you know, it'll die down when they're, if they're not an elite team anymore, I think the passion will die down here. Uh, but it was, that it was just a perfect storm of, of everything coming together. Now with the Raiders, it's an existing franchise. People already have their feelings about them. It is the most popular team here, but you know, there's a lot of people that hate them also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just don't think, you know, while they're going to be covered bigger because the NFL is bigger than everything, um, I just feel like the 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 passion that like ties the community to a team like the Bills have with the uh, with Buffalo, it's just not going to be there with the Raiders. I mean, they're going to sell the tickets. That's going to be no problem. You're going to see you know Raider stuff everywhere. All those things are true, but it's just not going to be that same level of passion. Right. And actually, I was just looking because I did a Zoom chat with fans the other day, and they were already starting to look at with the schedule coming out, some, some possible options in Vegas is at the top. Oh, of the everybody's, everybody's going to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, the person said that they were looking, the cheapest thing they saw was like $350. Uh, 
for like you know nosebleeds like absolutely Dude, at the top of the bowl like that's a, that's a steal because the cheapest nosebleeds i've seen are like 600 oh my gosh um, it's crazy and you know bills fans also we know they travel i have uh a couple years ago and it was an ugly game but i went down to uh, new orleans uh for bill saints mm-hmm. and i have i've never seen anything like that like it was from thursday night until after the game sunday and even monday it was just packed every every bar seemed like a bills bar uh bourbon street was just it was just red and blue it was crazy and i have if and again if las vegas is las vegas by then um you know right now the, the strip is closed which is a very weird site but um if las vegas is las vegas and if fans are allowed which is i think a big question uh it's going to be nuts it's going to be a buffalo takeover in las vegas there's no question and uh i know we have a a friend who runs a, a, a Buffalo restaurant out here yes. who's, uh, who's already like, I think he's already like sold out with reservations of people that are ready to party there. It's going to be nuts. Well, I need it to be, I need everything to be somewhat normal because I want to do a live show from there while we're out there. Cause it'd be oh, amazing. Um, but to your point, like Nashville last year was something I've never, ever seen before. I mean, just, we were at a rooftop bar so we could kind of look onto the, onto the whole street and like all the other bars and everywhere you look, Buffalo jerseys, like it was, it was pretty insane. But the thing about this year is interesting. Vegas and and Nashville are back to back on the schedule. Oh boy! So Bills fans are going to have to make their pick. I think a lot of them are going to end up picking Vegas because this is a first and historic, and it's Vegas. Let's be honest. Yeah. There's nothing to compare. I, I feel like a couple of years ago, because I went to I went to both games, and I'm trying to remember. I thought that Arizona and San Francisco were back to back. A couple of years ago, which are not the tourist spots at Nashville or New Orleans or Vegas is obviously, but um, I, I went to both games and I feel like they were either back to back or very close together. And it was both were just packed. It right. was insane. It was crazy. So, I mean, I think Bill's fan, it's not always traveling. I think Bill's fans just live everywhere. It's part mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nuts. I don't think it's going to stop them. And the AFC West is <laughs> a lot better this year. I mean, I, I way think- better. I think Denver could be really, really good. I mean, what's the situation with the Raiders in terms of how they're going to compete in this division? And um, is Derek uh, Derek Carr going to be their quarterback? I mean, what's what's the situation? I mean, that's the plan for right now. I think the the plan was to kind of um, – I think they went into the top season thinking, what can we do at quarterback? It was, is it Carr or do we go with – because I – I kind of compare it a little bit to uh, what we've already talked about with the Tyrod Taylor with the Bills situation where you've got a quarterback that's that's really good. And you're like, I don't think he's the guy to win the Super Bowl. I don't right. think he's the guy to take you to the next level. And I think that's where Carr is. He's kind of in that same, like, you know, 10 to 20 range of starting quarterbacks, which is really good. Mm-hmm. But it's not taking you to the next level. And so you have to make that decision of what you do. Um, I think they pursued Tom Brady. I don't, I don't think that was the right choice. I, I think that would have been a terrible decision. Um, but they pursued him and didn't get him. And then I think they said, okay, uh, we're just going to, we're going to keep Carr. We're going to give him one more year. We've got a really good offensive line. We've got a great tight end, a, a great running back. Uh, let's see if we can just stack a bunch of receivers and let's see what he can do. And, and this offense is on him. And I think, I think he's excited that he's the starting quarterback and he's the guy coming into the year. Uh, but this is almost the year of like, hey, this is, if you don't do it this year, if you don't have like reverting back to that 2016, unbelievable season mm-hmm. uh, if you're not that guy 
then it's probably your last chance here. So I think there's a ton of pressure on him uh, because they've given him what he wanted. They gave him vote of confidence. You're the starter. Uh, here's your line. Here's your weapons. Let's go out there. And if, if they've inv- they invested almost all their draft capital in wide receivers, really, mm. um, and said, hey, th- this is on you. And so it's a big year for him. But they're favored in three games this season. You know, three of 16 games they're favored in. Uh, they're, the over-under win total is seven and a half. Um, there's not a whole lot of confidence. They're the biggest long shot, if you're, you know, in, in betting to win the division. They're the biggest long shot in the, in the AFC West. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of expectation from the outside. Inside, they think they can be a playoff team. But um, as you mentioned, the division is much better. The Chiefs are obviously the Chiefs. Um, the, the Broncos, I don't believe in Drew Locke, but they do. Mm-hmm. They kind of did the same thing. They said, here, he's our guy. Uh, he's going to take us to the next level. Here's all your weapons. Uh, we've got a good defense already. Like, go out and do something. And so a lot's on Drew Locke. And then uh, I think if you anybody's listened to this first, like, half hour, you know how I feel about the Chargers this year. I think that they're they're a playoff team. Um, as long the as – defense is nasty, too. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they have one of the top defenses in the league. And that's that's why Anthony Lynn believes so much, I think, in Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback. And I, I think he's going to – as long as there's no pressure pressure from ownership and as long as they're in the race, uh, I, don't, I don't think Herbert's playing. Because okay. th- they believe – that Tyrod Taylor and the way he plays is what's going to carry them uh, to potentially being a playoff team. I think last year Rivers was just throwing the ball all over the place, taking way too many chances, turning it over, and not allowing uh, their defense, which had some injuries, so it wasn't as great as it could be this year, uh, to take over. And I think he just wants to say, hey, score us enough points for our defense to win, don't turn the ball over, and that's, that's their key to success this year. And I think the Chargers are going to be really good. So um, I think the Raiders and the Broncos are fighting for third, and uh, it should be a fun year in the AFC West, but the, the Raiders are, uh, are facing a pretty uphill challenge and there's a lot of pressure on Carr. All right. Uh, this has been fun, exciting. I'm sure Bills fans are going to be riveted with. Oh, they're not, not going to be happy. Um, but no, let's, uh, let's switch gears to. Oh, um, I, also, I also think uh, Dawson Knox is a beast. I should point that out. And Trey uh, White's ooh. one of the best players I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a real difficult situation for you. You finally have a competent, front office head coach combination. The team is pretty much set to compete now, and you have to stick with your guns and say, you know what, I'm not a Bills fan. Well, you could be a Bills – here's the thing, too. You could be a Bills fan. You could kind of, like, make your way back and still be a Tyrod guy. Like, back in the day, like, I liked the Knicks, but anywhere the Tracy McGrady went, that was my team because he was my guy. Right, but, again, it's not about – it's not about – Tyrod Taylor or Josh Allen. I mean, I know who my pick is between those two, but that, it's not what it's about. It was more about how I felt he was treated, which, which disgusted me. So I, I just don't want to be – I just can't, in my mind, be a part of that anymore. Like, right. I mean, if you go back and look through my Twitter, how many, you know, hashtag Bill's Mafia tweets I've had in my life. And just – and I'm like, oh, man. Like, what was I thinking at that time? Why was I a part of that? But, no, it's, like, it, it, it's ingrained in me. It's part of me. Uh, it always will be. But, yeah, I, like, right now, God, Trey White would be my favorite player in all of sports if I was still a Bills. That guy is just not only hilarious, does awesome things uh, on and off the field, which is, is one of the best players in the league. Like, how do you not love that guy? Right. No, I, I agree. I, I feel sorry for your situation if I was <laughs> in it. <laughs> but, anyway, moving on. Obviously, Bills Mafia has a, has a fun team to, to deal with here. But – um, UFC, I want to change gears here, talk a little bit about that. You were in um, Jacksonville, Florida. 
Uh, for UFC 249, uh, Justin Gagey beat, beating uh, Tony Ferguson in an absolute war, broken orbital bone for Ferguson. But before we talk about a little bit about the fight, because I want to talk about that 155-pound division, what was the week like? I mean, you guys were getting tested out there. I saw you stick a thing up your nose. <laughs> Uh, it, it was a pretty crazy week. By the way, I handled that pretty – I was a pretty uh, pretty solid handle there. That was amazing. You didn't Got through it. I was, I was well, impressed. The backstory on that is that uh, I had just watched – if people watch the card, Francis Ngannou is just – he is just a beast. That dude is so ridiculous with his – I mean, just his power is just unreal. And he's a very, very good dude and kind of a funny guy. And I just watched him take his test, and he didn't handle it that well. And I was like, okay, if he can't handle this, what chance do I have? And he was kind of standing there, like, not like watching, but he was like in the area. <laughs> and I was like, man, I can't, I can't, like, he'll make fun of me so bad. So I just had to like, I like almost went to like a Zen-like state. And I was like, all right, just do this. And I wanted to scream. So it sucks. It's not fun. Uh, but I got through it and uh, nobody could make fun of me for that. But then I was like kind of joking with the uh, technician, like, oh, look, I'm handling this better than some of the fighters are. And she goes, yeah, they have broken noses. We can't get the swab all the way up there. It hurts them. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so really, I didn't really handle it that much better than anyone. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, I, I think the UFC put a lot of protocols in place to try to be the first one back and to try to be as safe as they possibly could. Uh, and like you said, I mean, it was a quarantine hotel, basically an isolated hotel. Everybody got tested to get in there. And uh, everybody felt kind of safe. And then I think – I think there was some level of everybody kind of letting their guard down a little bit, um, which which is to be expected. Like, all of these plans, if you see them, like the uh, the NBA plan that I was kind of looking at as well, there it calls for a lot of personal responsibility, mm -hmm. right? Where, sure, they can put all these protocols in place, but then you – like, part of it is, okay, you're going to arrive at the hotel, you're going to be tested, and then you go to your room to wait for the results so that you're not around anybody. But everybody is like, eh, you know, whatever. I'm not going to stay in my room. So like right. if part of your plan, and this goes for all the sports, if part of your plan is, Hey, we're going to do this. And then you are going to be responsible for you not going around anybody. That's where some of these plans are going to run into uh, some danger. And I know NASCAR isn't even testing. Hmm. Like NASCAR is coming back and they're just saying, we're, we're just going. Uh, I think they're doing uh, temperature checks and like just asking you if you've been around anybody that's been exposed. I mean, good luck there. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a tough one, but they're coming back this weekend, and uh, that's their protocols, and it's just weird. The whole the whole experience was weird with no fans. Um, I know the NFL might have to deal with this soon. Um, sounded like uh, uh, Tepper, the Panthers owner, was almost just coming out and saying, like, yeah, it's probably not going to be full stadiums. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where did, I mean, where did that come from? I think we know that, but the NFL has been so tight about you know saying that. And he was like, if we have fans, it won't be full stadiums. Like, wait, you're, you're already saying that we're definitely not going to have full stadiums. Um, I think people are going to be taken aback by that. But it's something that, to get used to. And sitting in an empty stadium, there were so many logistical things about the fights that I think we'll see in, in football as well. Um, the, like, the fighters could hear the announcers. Right. Because there's nobody in the arena. And the fighters are adjusting their game plan by, based on what the announcers are saying. Like when, you know, Joe – sorry to get too inside here, but Joe Rogan uh, during one of the fights – uh, said that he thought uh, one of the fighters was setting up for a darts choke. Mm -hmm. And so the fighter that was fighting him was like, oh, okay, I better defend a darts choke. So, like, he's before he even sets up his move, he's hearing the announcer say what he thinks he's going to set up, and then he's able to, to adjust to that, which is just a crazy concept. Right. Um, 
but and I think there was a lot of lobbying of the judges, mm-hmm. which I think you'd see in the NFL too. A lot more coaches being very vocal if there's no fans. Right. A lot more coaches being vocal with the referees to try to get in their head and sway them a little bit. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that have to be adjusted. Now I I talked to Jalen Rashard from the Raiders who said he thinks the games would actually be better. He's not mm-hmm. advocating for it. Um, certainly, he was like, "Hey, listen, I, I just wanted to make it clear. I want the fans there. I want full houses. That's what I want." He's like, "But if they weren't, you might see a better quality of football, uh, just based on you know having much clearer communication with the players, being able to call audibles much better. Um, you know, nobody, everybody's on the same page all the time. Uh, all those things would, I think, help. And no distractions. Like so, guys react to the crowds differently. And so he was saying like there might not be any distractions." Um, he he was kind of saying it could be better, but it'd be better on both sides. So it's not like anybody has an advantage from that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. And it's weird. I keep getting asked this because in town, obviously with the UFC being back going, everybody wants to talk UFC. And one of the things I've been asked twice now is, so what can other leagues learn from the way the UFC did it? And my hesitation to say that they can learn too much is because the UFC is kind of unique in that they can really control everything from, from like the, the, the media access to the uh, events, the, the, the week up leading up to the events, all of the fighters and the coaches. There's a, I feel like there's a lot more overhead when you're talking about a team sport. There is. But I, I, think, I think there is things you can learn, um, like I said, about, about how much like personal responsibility guys will have. So like, any plan that you write is going to involve the players kind of being on board with it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things you learned um, is being much more vigilant because w- what happened with the UFC, if people don't know is that everybody got there and got tested and then you're supposed to go to your room and wait for the results. Um, while they're waiting for the results, one of the fighters was seen on some videos around some other guys um, actually weighed in with a mask and gloves on for his fight. And then the results came in and he was positive. And they're like, well, you know, you come here, you isolate. And everybody's like, you didn't isolate. I saw him on a video. Right. I threw another guy. Right. And so I think you have to be much more vigilant about, like, I think the UFC's protocols were probably pretty good. But there is that, that aspect of, like, okay, when you get here, until your test results are here, you have to, you have to be away from everybody. And, and I think, you know, they talk about doing it in Vegas, which is a problem, I think, because guys are going to want to go out and do things. Right. That becomes tough. So, like, the Disney one makes more sense to me now where you could be at a resort, nobody leaves the resort, everybody that comes, comes into the resort gets tested, and then everybody is just stuck there. And you, you don't have that much access to, like, leave and go off property. Because, like, in Jacksonville, even though the UFC told you not to leave, there's not, like, a guard at the door. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there should be. These are adults. But, you know, if the fighters wanted to go te- – if they want to go walk around the city, potentially go to a restaurant or something, they could have. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not the UFC's fault, but that is – Uh, that, you know, you have to expect that some guys are going to kind of, you know, go out and do their own thing. You can't just tell people they have to be isolated. You have to figure out a way to make that more feasible. Mm-hmm. And in terms, you said it was weird, like in, like at the arena. Do you think though that at the apex and it's funny, I've never actually been to the apex yet. Cause it's been, really? it opened after, since I've been back. And even in the, when I was back there the last time, it, it wasn't far enough along to even check it out. But um, do you think having the fights at the apex though would make it a little bit less weird because you've, you've been at tough fights, you've been at contender series fights. I mean, I think that 
from a fan experience perspective, it wasn't as jarring as probably the NFL or NBA will be because fans have seen those kind of fights before with, with no crowd. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it was weird. Like the Ngannou fight, like, which was a 20 second knockout, which you would have heard just this loud, like roar was nothing. And then right. the Gaethje Ferguson fight was so good. You almost would have expected like the end of the second round, like a standing ovation. And you're looking right. around like, wait, is nobody even reacting to this? Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It would, it's jarring in anywhere. It's jarring in baseball, right? Like I'm, when I'm watching KBO at night, which I am, um, it's, it's jarring to not to see no crowd. And it does feel more like an exhibition. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they would do. I, I, I was talking to somebody that said they might pump in car, crowd noise, which would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the, uh, what the Bundesliga is putting uh, fake fans. And oh. I think you can, pay, you can pay like $20 and have like the face of somebody as one of the uh, one of the fans which, and is it a virtual situation where you actually they'll you'll be able to watch the game through the fans vantage point that that would be that would be cool that'd yeah. be good but we're uh we are actually me and me and my friends are uh putting together some money and we're gonna we're gonna have one of our other friends in like 10 different places in the crowd which we i, I don't know we just think is funny for some reason i don't know why <laughs> um we also had uh we also had Paige Van Zandt make a cameo for him, which was which was fun. Look uh, at you, just, yeah. Take care of your buddies. I like that. It's, well, it's the same guy. We're just picking on him. But yeah, okay. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. The NFL does have the benefit of having a lot of time, and I think they're, I think that they right now kind of feel like it's a long shot that they get full houses. Mm-hmm. But I think they're absolutely going with this plan of like you know 33 to 50 percent capacity, scaling it down, letting some fans be, which would be a lot less jarring, I think. Mm-hmm. um to watch if, as long as you have some people there it'll just seem like it's a you know a sparse crowd uh but I, it's it's a whole new world man like of everything like there's so many changes and i'm i'm happy for them but it, it, it is weird uh i was at, actually at a restaurant in florida like for the first time in, in months i actually went out no condiments right like you can't have a ketchup bottle or a mustard bottle on the table or salt and pepper shakers mm-hmm. or steaks like anything like that because that's obviously a really bad thing. And people were like screaming about it, mm-hmm. right? They're like, oh, I want a ketchup bottle. Like, okay, listen, it's a team effort for all of us, right? Like we want to go back and start doing things. But we also have to accept that there's a different, like it's a different world now. Right. And I think we all have to kind of work together in that to say like, hey, look, I know this is not what you are used to or you like, but we do have to adjust to this new, this new thing. And like even going to stadiums of, you know, different ways to, I saw the Dolphins plan, I think, with, uh, you know, you, you can only order food. You can't, there's not like a concession stand, so don't be waiting in line. You order it, they put it at a certain place, and you pick it up. Like, there's just different things that are going to be done, and I think we're going to be able to start getting back to some of those things and, like, going to games and being a part of it. But we all have to accept that it's not just like it was and stop being jerks about that, of, like, I want to get in line and get my beer. Like, how about you order it on an app, and then it's placed somewhere, and then you go pick it up, and, like, right. we can accept that and get closer to working together and getting back to games and stuff. I mean, I think everybody would be used to that by now. I've my Chipotle mobile app situation is on point now. Like, it's I don't even want to go back to a world where I stand in line for Chipotle. Like, I wanted to use the app forever. Is, wait, is Chipotle like a sponsor or something? No, but I go there. I was gonna say, why is there even a line at Chipotle? Who else is going there? <laughs> Dude, everybody goes to Chipotle today. <laughs> Not in Vegas, where it's the Mexican capital of the world. I can't get any right. Mexican out here, dude. So anyway. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to. Uh, well, the first, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add to this. If you, people, if you are watching this, please do me a favor. And you're in Buffalo, probably, so you're probably not in Vegas to help me out. But like, do you know how good Starbucks mobile app is? Do we all understand how good this is? 
order your freaking coffee in advance so you're not there's not 38 cars in the drive-thru at starbucks when you can't go in there right like it's we all have to pick it up at the drive-thru window now right okay fine but how about we all order in advance and then it's a very easy process just picking up your coffee and you're not ordering through the stupid thing anymore like let's adjust to this and it's just my thing because i have to go to starbucks every day because i'm obsessed but how about that let's order on the app we're not ordering at the window anymore I'm, I'm right there with you. I think people you. You talk about it comes down to personal responsibility and yes. the pro sports league. Well, same thing goes for the Starbucks app. Get exactly. it together. Please, people. <laughs> All right. So we're looking at probably Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gagey. My first part of that is right. Like, is that what we're looking at? <laughs> Fight Island? Yeah. And like, but like, how does that whole dynamic work? Because for, for people that might not be familiar and may want to be get more interested in in UFC and, and what's going on there, you know, they're represented by the same guy. And I think Connor has a really interesting fight with both of those guys. And we know Khabib's history of pulling out and maybe not being able to uh, roll with the punches of, you know, a certain situation coming up. Ramadan just happened and we don't know when they're going to fight, but you're plugged in, you're dialed in. What are we, what are you expecting? to see here with the, with the 155-pound title? I mean, I expect Gaethje and Nurmagomedov. Like, that's that's what I think should happen and will happen. Uh, but Connor does have so much power, and, like, Connor controls so much. Uh, Gaethje assured me. I, I talked to – he said it at the press conference. I talked to him after. He said, I am not ta- – I don't care what Connor does. I'm not taking the Connor fight. I'm taking the Nurmagomedov fight first, and then I'll fight Connor afterwards. Because that is what's going to happen. Connor is going to try to jump the line. He knows that's a huge fight. He knows, like, he's a businessman. He understands uh, that fight would do massive numbers. And so he's going, and he's already doing it on Twitter. He's lobbying to get that fight. But you're right that uh, Nurmagomedov and Gaethje, you know, have that connection. Uh, th- they're going to do big business for their company and, and the UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I-, I just think that that fight makes too much sense. And here's the other part of this. It's going to be real tough for the UFC to do a Conor McGregor fight until their fans back allow. Like, they make so much from those gates. It's mm-hmm. insane. Like, this, this fight, UFC 249 did an original gate of 5.5 million. Like, 5 million you can sacrifice if you're making, you know, 40 on the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It's real tough to, to sacrifice, you know, 20, $25 million gate um, if Conor McGregor is fighting, especially with what you're paying Conor. Right. Like, it's just real tough. So, I, I don't think they're going to let Conor fight for a while. Um, just to see how long it might be until they can get fans in there again. Because I, I just can't imagine them rushing Connor to fight with no fans or like Fight Island, like he was talking about. Um, I, I can't imagine them doing that until everything. Where is, is uh, where is Fight Island? Dude, I don't know. Are you going I, I have are you a, go to Fight Island? It's a big I think fight. I would go. I think I would go if it's a big fight. Um, it's, I mean, it's a hilarious concept of like they're just renting an island somewhere and trying to build it. But it also, like, it has to have an airport, it has to have hotels, right? Right. Like, you can't be. I think everybody's picturing this like Gilligan's Island type place where there's like huts or something. Like it has to have some infrastructure. It has to. And so I've been thinking it could be like, you know, the fights where they do it in uh, Abu Dhabi, it's called like Yaz Island, right? Like I think it's technically an island. Mm-hmm. It might be something like that. It might be something. I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I've been trying to ask everybody. Nobody will say anything. Um, I'm very interested in where it is, but don't expect it to be, some completely remote place. They've got to get people in and out of there. They've got to get the cage in and out of there. They have to get the cameras and the lights and all that stuff. And people have to stay somewhere. 
So it's got to be a developed island somewhere. It can't be it can't be this dream that we have of you know some remote place. You know, every time I get a chance to catch up with you, man, it's like a dream. So I appreciate you. Uh... <laughs> that seems that seems not true. And by the way, I don't think anybody watching this is gonna feel the same way. <laughs> Well, I think you're a great dude. And I, I think that, you know, most of the time I retweet you, um, I probably should think about the, the, the shit storm it's going to cause, but no, uh, I like that. I embrace okay. it, but here, here's the problem. I'll, I will call out uh, these people that are always, always going after me when you retweet me because it's died down. I think they've gotten bored with it. Right. So like, let's, let's get that going again. <laughs> you want that? You want that smoke? I feel uh, it. Yeah. I want all the smoke. I'm good with it. What, what I'm in my house. What else am I going to do? Exactly. All right. He's Adam Hill, Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time, man. This was fun. Talked about a lot of different things. Uh, I'm Matt Prino, at Matt Prino on Twitter. Uh, this is the Bills Talk with Matt Prino podcast. Head over to nyupsyracuse.com for all your Bills content.